You're listening to The Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, former Prep Course Ops Superintendent and current Special Reconnaissance Training Guru, Trent Segmiller. Hey everyone, welcome back to the team room. You're with Ones Ready. We have a very special guest today, as always, so we'll get to that as quickly as possible. Uh, but before we get there, as check out all the people that support us. I know we keep talking about it. Everly Stock, Adoregs Pomade, obviously uh, with uh, two PJs on the podcast, Adoregs Pomade is going to be the one we focus on as much as possible. So if you don't look good, you don't feel good, you don't perform well. So uh, make sure you go over there, put in the Ones Ready code, and then check out all the other people that we're affiliated with and get yourself a sweet discount. This week, we have a former Royal Marine with us. His name is, is Sam now. Is, can I call you Sam now? It's weird. Now Absolutely. That you're retiring. Yeah, Sam is good. Right. From, uh, you know, a, a few different things, Royal Marines and a reorg charity. So w- without me talking anymore, Sam, go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay, guys. Uh, well, firstly, thank you very much for inviting me on. It's an honor. Um, so... As you've already said, Royal Marine Commando, um, and I embarked on that journey on the, uh, well, 22 years ago now. Okay, so 17th of April, 1999. Yeah. Jeez. And for the, for the people that don't know, what, what are the Royal Marines? You know, like, I know Brian and yeah. all the guys over there that are also on the podcast were stationed out in England. I was not. So yeah. for all the rest of our listeners, like strategically or, or what your role is as a Royal Marine for, for Britain, yeah. uh, okay. what does that mean? Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll keep this as short as possible. Um, so essentially, oh, the, uh, the Royal Marines are the Royal Navy's amphibious fighting force. Um, that, that, that is our role. And the idea being is that we can deploy anywhere around the world, uh, any environment, at a moment's notice, and we are self-sufficient, self, self-contained. Fantastic. That's the, that's the easiest one of all time. That was Who thought that this was going to be hard? You just buttoned it all up into, into, a, into a nice little bow. Uh, Trent kind of mentioned it, but Brian and I actually had the uh, distinct pleasure of working with some Royal Marines when we were in England. So Peaches, Brian, and I were all down in East Anglia, down at RF Milton Hall. So uh, we got to work with the Royal Marine, Marines a couple times, um, a couple, a couple uh, different training events and such. So it's awesome. We're pretty familiar with you and your capabilities, but our listeners might not be. So yeah. thanks for thanks for letting us know about all that stuff. Let's let's talk about your career specifically. Yeah. So way back 1999, we're all old here. So we we totally are not playing the you're the oldest man in the room game, which is a, a good thing. And once again, congratulations on congratulations on your uh, retirement, which was actually today, April 18th. So congratulations. Yeah. That's a, an amazing feat that you did. But Take us, take us all the way back to square one. Did you go okay. into the military to be a Royal Marine? What led you to that? Absolutely, yeah. So I'm from a military family. My dad was a diver in the Navy. His brother, my uncle, was a Royal Marine commando. Um, and yeah, from a small boy, very much like maybe some of you guys here, uh, I was running around the garden, you know, wanting to be a Royal Marine commando. It was a dream. You know, like some kids want to be football players or they want to be movie stars. I wanted to be a Royal Marine commander. That was the dream for me. Um, so I grew up, you know, listening to stories of my dad and my uncle and uh, getting the combat survival magazines and all that, you know. And um, 19th birthday came around and that was it, you know, signed up. But I was well prepared, you know. Um, I didn't go into that lightly. 
I knew what it took to become a Royal Marine based on stories and research. And obviously back then, we didn't have the internet like you have today. So it was graft. Do you know what I mean? It was graft, right. finding out some of those things. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, I was, I sort of, I wasn't one of these kids who was uh, physically gifted. So, um, you know, I had a cousin who, their whole family were marathon runners. That's what they did for fun. I didn't, you know, I was out on my BMX. I was out jumping off cliffs and swimming. So I was active, you know, and we lived by the sea. So I would get up five o'clock in the morning, get my dog and we'd go for a run on the beach. And I did that, at, you know, 18, 19 years old, because I knew that when I went in the Royal Marines, I was going to be uncomfortable and they were going to put me in positions that I didn't want to be in. So I didn't want to get up at five o'clock in the morning, you know, and it's chucking it down the rain. And I'm from Yorkshire, which is not a nice part of the UK. <laughs> pretty gopping and uh yeah so it's pretty grim up north you know so i'd be getting up you know five o'clock in the morning going for my runs coming back and uh having my raw eggs because that's what rocky did you know what i mean um so so yeah so so that 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 was it the the day came and uh mum and dad took me to the train station waved me off uh, and that was it. So I, I started uh, Royal Marine Commando training at Limston, Devon, for those that don't know. And how it starts, so I'll go back a little stage, actually. Before you do your, uh, before you start training, you do what's called a, a, a PRMC, so a potential Royal Marine course. And you go down for a week at Limston. And that's where you you get to see what it's all about there, but they get to test and assess you. And generally, about 60 of you start that process. Uh, and at the end of that week, about 15 to 20 will be successful. And then out of that, they make up a troop oh, wow. okay. of 60 guys. So you've then started, so 60 of you, you've passed the PRMC and you start commando training. Um, and it's 32 weeks long from start to finish. And at the end of the uh, commando training, you have the four commando tests run over four days one day after another, um, you do the endurance course, uh, which is seven miles, undulating ground, through water tunnels, a run back to camp, and then you've got to get all 10 shots on target. You do a nine-mile speed march, carrying full kit. You do what's called the Tarzan Assault Course, which is all high-wire obstacles, um, bottom field assault course, and you have to get, get in on the allotted time. And then the day after that, you do 30 miles across Dartmoor, full kit, um, and if you pass all that, then you're awarded your Green Beret. Um, oh, yeah. So, so nothing tough than <laughs> just standard. a quick walk in the woods. It's, <laughs> it's beautiful in England. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's intense. And, yeah, so there was... and that's, a, that's a really high attrition rate. I bet, you know, I bet that's not uh, you know, the, the easiest thing to get through. Well, there's 12 of us that passed. So 12 of us out of that 60 uh, passed um, seven, six, you know, with 763 Troop, and we got awarded our Green Berets. So if you go right back to the... The, the beginning that pyramid effect there's like 180 of you and then 12 of us the dirty dozen we called ourselves at the time um passed. Yeah, <laughs> sure so yeah well th I, that resonates with our with our listeners as you know we we focus specifically on people that want to get into air force special operations yeah. and a lot of the um, you know of course i'm I'm hearing you and your events and I'm thinking to myself, man, I've, I've been on a long walk yeah. like that. I've been on some, some stress yeah. events like that. What are some tricks and, you know, tips that you would have 
for getting through those long walks. You already mentioned one of them, which is put yourself yeah. in those uncomfortable positions first yeah. so that you're not, you know, you essentially gobsmacked to steal yeah. one of your phrases, uh, by the first yeah. time that you're, that you're in one of those events. But what's some other advice that you would give to people that are just looking to get into something really, really heinous like that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th I think this is awesome what you guys are doing, you know, preparing, uh, preparing them for these courses. Um, because like when I started, there was no one doing this, you know, there was no one giving that advice. And I think that is key. And to answer your question, preparation, you know, preparation is the best possible form, whether that's physical or psychological, you know, whether you're, you know, talking yourself through the event before you go and do it, just imagining yourself in those situations and how it's going to feel before you actually go and do it. And, you know, for anyone who's skydived, that's the same sort of thing. You know, you're in the plane, you're going through in your head what it is you're actually going to do. So when you when you do it, it's not such a shock to you. It's not like, whoa, what's going on here? You know, you've already put yourself in that. So if you are going on a course that you know is hard and uh, you know it's going to be tough, put yourself in that position before you go and do it because that's what we do in the military, isn't it? That's why we train hard. So when we go and fight, you've prepared yourself as best as possible physically but more importantly psychologically. So preparation is, is the answer to that question. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, what, I, what I've told people before is like, you know, you can't get the exact – experience and the exact push-ups like whatever you're going to be doing in selection obviously that kind of thing but yeah. mentally you can get to that place to where you're completely smoked you're at uh mental fatigue as well as physical fatigue and then yeah. you've experienced that before and if you can do it with a group of other people that are going after the same thing that's also going to be a really uh beneficial thing for you to start up so speaking about being in uh you know, difficult positions, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. From what Aaron was telling me is uh, that you had some other duties on the side as far as like close combat instructor or that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you ended up actually being the first Royal Marine to get a black belt in jujitsu, that kind of yeah. stuff. So tell us about that journey and how that kind of started. Yeah. So, um, so I, I with, as I said in the beginning, Royal Marines were self-contained, were self-sufficient. So everything we do, we've got to, uh, we've got to provide the instructors to teach it. You know, so we've got our own platoon weapon instructors, got our own drill instructors, got our own physical training instructors. So, but you double hat. So um, you might be a physical training instructor, but you're also a section commander that goes on the ground and does the job. So you, you like you wear many hats, yeah. Um, so as part of being a physical training instructor, one of your roles is uh, being a close combat instructor. So you're going to teach the recruits that go through Limston close combat. Uh, but then when you get to the commando units, you're going to do that continuation training. You're going to teach the lads back at the commando units close combat training. Um, now, when I went through as a recruit, it was limited. You know, it's very, very little. And I was quite shocked, actually, even as a young 19-year-old, I thought we'd get more than what we did. And it was just your basic, like, goosenecks and stuff like that, you know. And uh, I thought we'd be doing it, like, every day. So when I got to a position where I was actually a physical training instructor and I could actually do something about it, I, I ran with it, you know. There was already a close combat syllabus in place, which was great. It was really, really good. And, and that was my first experience of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And the reason being is that the... Uh, the guy on the on the course, the PT one. So we were all corporals. He was a sergeant, and he he was taking us for this close combat instructors course. He had recently got into MMA, um, and he was a boxer by trade. And um, he 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 trained with a wrestler 
and a jiu-jitsu guy that basically just took him down and just totally like owned him. And he was like, what is this? He's <laughs> just... like, I need to learn this, you know? So subsequently, once he taught us the Roman Close Combat syllabus, he then used us, used us as his grappling dummies. And he was <laughs> like, right, come here, you know, take those, this, that. And, and that's my first experience of it, you know. As a kid, like we all did, you know, I did judo, I did boxing, did a bit of kung fu, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, when you went through the 80s and the 90s. You, you know, you all wanted to be Jean-Claude Van Damme, didn't you, and stuff like that. So I, I tried everything, but never really stuck at one thing. And uh, I experienced Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I was just like, wow, what is this magic? You know, and I think it's almost the practicality of it, you know, the, the way that as a corporal, I could see how we could use this tactically on the ground, you know, to, to kind of bolster what we'd already been taught in the Royal Marine Corps combat course. So I was just bitten, like most of us here who, who's done jiu-jitsu. So from there on in, um, every commando unit that I went to, um, I would use every opportunity to teach, even as a white belt, because I had that instructor quality and I was a close combat instructor, um, I would just um, grasp at any opportunity, you know. So even like when we were uh, in Afghan, you know, and we were kind of waiting in between, you know, do a strike up, come back, deservice, reservice. And I went to the PX and I bought um, Rampage Jackson versus mm -hmm. Forrest Griffin, the Ultimate Fighter series. And yeah, yeah, yeah and I, I got it on my yeah. laptop, and uh, I'm like just watching it, trying to get like techniques and stuff like that. And my my lads like chilling out, you know, just sort of sorted the kit out, and they're just chilling out. And I'm like, right, let's go up, come on, let's go. We're, we're going to do these drills. <laughs> we're going to try this. They're like, oh, here we go, you know. But they loved it, you know. That's I think that's the key because they are all in the military, you know. It's all combat, you know. Close combat is the is the, is the that, that is it, isn't it? Weapon fires, weapon stops. You've got your hands, and that's it. So, so that's it, it to answer your question. That, that, that was my first experience of jiu-jitsu, and uh, that's where I got the, the bug. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for those that are listening out there, as far as being on a team like this, you know, you got your guys that are really good at shooting or into that kind yeah. of thing, guys that are yeah. really good at grappling into that kind of thing, guys that yeah. are really good at tactics, yeah. you know, everyone kind of picks their little niche and stuff. Mm. And it's important for, um, you knew you obviously had a passion for Brazilian Jiu Jitsu to implement that onto the team and make the team better. Because even though some guys may be like, man, I'm, I'm not really into this right now, but yeah. you're pushing them to do it. Cause exactly. you know, one of these days they might actually have to use these skills yeah. in combat and uh you know that's gonna be they're I gonna come up and say thank you yeah i think i think the light bulb moment is when a, a smaller weaker guy um rolls with a bigger stronger guy but using technique and knowledge Ooh, they're, ju they're, they're right just they're just like that feeling yeah they're just like wow this is awesome and then and then they're bitten so jiu-jitsu at that time it wasn't in the royal marines you know it was just these little secret squirrel clubs you know that no one spoke about you were invited in you know and it was just in a squash short in fizz rig t-shirt and shorts you know um so i was at four five commando at the time and i was like right we need to get this all across the royal marines we need to be training this in every commando unit so i embarked on the mission of getting Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu recognized as a core sport in the Royal Marines. So that would get the same recognition as football, boxing, rugby, you know, all those big, big sports, you know. And I went to a few people senior to me and they just said, don't bother. You know, people have tried it in the past. It'll never happen. And that 
to people with our mindset, it's just like red rag to a bull. Do you know what I mean? I was just like, mm. I'm just going to keep banging down doors until someone like really, like the CEO gets me in the office and says, right, sign sheriff, wind your neck in. This ain't going to happen. And at that point, I put that, yeah, all right, yeah. sir. Until that, until that time, I was just cracking on, cracking on, and that, and we did it. You know, we, we, uh, the Commandant General of the Royal Marines, he, um, he gave us authorization to um, to train Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a core sport, and that led to us getting on duty status. So that meant that every commando unit could have a team. We could travel on duty. We could compete for the Royal Marines at national and international competitions. And it was just amazing, you know, and it, and then it grew to the biggest sport in the Royal Marines, like the biggest sport. So bigger than football, bigger than mm. boxing, bigger than rugby. There's more lads in commando units training Brazilian jiu-jitsu because like us, they just got it. They just could see the practical application between the two. Yeah, and I just want to mention, by the way, I don't think we talked about it at the beginning, but Sam Sheriff is an awesome name. And if a, there was a Marvel character out there that was really good at jujitsu, <laughs> it would be Sam Sheriff. <laughs> Sounds cool. Um, but <laughs> along the same lines as uh, you know, like you were talking about, it's a huge undertaking to you know move the force in a certain direction and get them to bite off on a program like you were implementing. So I know it took a lot of hours outside of your actual duty time and that kind of stuff. And we always yeah. talk about, you know, people are mentioning I have a job, I have to do this, yeah. I have to do that. You obviously had a job to do as well as uh, what you were doing on the side. So yeah. what would you say to those people that um kind of make up excuses as to why they feel they cannot accomplish something because they don't have the time or they don't have, yeah. you know, that kind of motivation to drive them. How would you, uh, I think, I think it's really clear. I think, um, you, you get excuses or you get results. You can't have the both. You either make an excuse and you don't do it or you do it and you get the result you want, you know, so it's excuses versus results. Um, and for me, there was no excuse. You know, it was like, this is something we need to be doing as a sport in the Royal Marines. Um, and to every officer that I went to that came up with uh, an excuse for not doing it and for doing some other training in its place, I came up with an answer for that. You know, I remember one particular young captain um, and he turned around and said to me, Ah, Sergeant Sheriff, uh, can you please give me an example when you've actually used hand-to-hand -hand combat in an operational situation? And I just came straight back to him and said, sir, when have we ever actually used our survival tin that we carry in our top pocket and, you know, <laughs> got out all those bits of survival kit and used those survival kits in a real situation? When have we ever been upside down in a helicopter and had to break out and then come to the surface and find everyone. <laughs> but we haven't. But we train for when we do. Yeah. And that's exactly what it's all about. And in answer to his question, we've used hand-to-hand -hand loads, of, loads of times. Because hand-to-hand -hand is not a case of you're on top of someone actually going through a full drill. It could be a case of you've got older someone and you, you're processing them from, you know, from a, a situation you've been in. You know, you've taken over the compound, you're processing people. That's hand-to-hand -hand because if it goes wrong, you've got to deal with that person really, really quickly. And not only that, we're looking after our guys and girls not just on duty, but when they're off duty as well. So when they're out of that camp gate and they're going home on leave, if someone attacks them, what do they have in their back pocket to actually protect themselves and protect the family? You know, 
So, uh, yeah, it felt a bit silly after that. Yeah, that's that's a great point. It's hard to believe that you actually had to, you know, explain that to him because I I guess when you're in the the kind of circles that we run in or experience the things that we have, like that's, of course, that's the reason why you're going to do it. It, it, Like it's, it's a no brainer for us, but uh, I got to say it's, it's, it's funny watching Aaron and Brian's face because some of the, you know, wind your neck in and stuff like that. Like they haven't heard that since they left the UK, <laughs> but my wife is English. So like, oh, she tells awesome. me to wind my yeah. neck in all the time um, and, and point much, much more vocabulary than, uh, and she still teaches me a lot of uh, English vocabulary. So it's just funny yeah. to see their faces going, like, man, I haven't heard that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah. good. I can't wait. I'm gonna on the YouTube. I'm gonna put a bunch of translations. Be like, hey, when you say yeah. Find your neck in. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. A squash well, you, cord. Well, you, the thing is, you've you've got the English, but then you've got the Royal Marines speak as well, like hoofing and and all these other words that we use in the Royal Marines. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> I think that I think that particular officer, though, I think he's an example of someone that actually has never done any kind of proper hand to hand stuff. Because generally, if you've not done something and you don't get it or you're not very good at it, you back away from it and you're like, I'm going to find an excuse as to why I don't need to do this or why I don't think we should do it. And it, more often than not, you get those people on the map and it's like a light bulb moment and, and they, they, they experience it and then they're like, oh, right, I need to get involved in this. And like at four or five commando, our dojo was on the bottom floor and the, the, the weights room was on the top floor. And you get all the big lads, you know, going in to do their deadlifts and their squats and all that. And you'd see them looking over into the dojo and we'd be grappling. And you could see they wanted to join in. They really wanted to join in, but the ego was not allowing them to because they didn't want that young lad straight out of training, like tapping them out, you know. And it's like, what's worse, another Royal Marine that's a bit more junior to you tapping you out or someone on an operation or in a public order situation or worse, like when you're at home with your family. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Just, yeah. And that, and that translates to so much more just outside of combatives and jujitsu. I mean, that, yeah. it's just it, people don't like to do things that they're not good at yeah, or that absolutely. they yeah. could potentially feel like they're embarrassed. But you know, failure is just a, a point of departure that we can actually learn from and we can eventually end up succeeding. But that's a that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, absolutely. What, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But what I did want to talk to you about is reorg. Um, yeah. I mean, you you have obviously spent a life dedicated to martial arts, combatives, jujitsu. So what led you to reorg? <laughs> okay. Um so part of me being a physical training instructor, I'm also an exercise rehabilitation instructor. So what that means is that um, you get lads coming back for an, an, an all manner of different injuries, same as what you guys have experienced. So uh, my job is, or my job, my what my job was, was to go for a, get a diagnosis from the medical officer, the doctor, to say this is what's wrong with this individual, and then give them a training program, exercise rehabilitation, get them from point of injury back to operational effectiveness. So I enjoyed helping people. I enjoyed seeing people go from bad position to a good position. You know, I enjoyed that process. You know, I obviously loved martial arts. So the, the, the two kind of merged perfectly. Um, we'd got Royal Marine 
Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu sorted, that was running, that was all good to go. So that could allow me to focus my attention to this. Now, this come about at a time when I um, I met a gentleman um, called Alan Shibaro, um, awesome guy, I don't know if any of you know him, um, and he came over to the UK, we met, told him the story of Royal Marine Jiu-Jitsu and we just got on so well and he told me about his organisation that he founded, We Defy Foundation, um, and he just loved what I'd done with Royal Marine Jiu-Jitsu and he actually offered me to run We Defy UK and I was blown away by that, you know, it, it was because I knew it was his baby and for him to kind of entrust that to me, it was, uh, it was a huge thing. But I felt it was really important that... Um, we had our own identity and we, we, we did our own thing. So he completely understood that, completely got it. And he said, look, anything you need, anything that I can do to help, I'm here for you. He says, one bit of advice, get the name right and get the, the branding right, get the logo right. So I spent a bit of time in my lounge with my uh, sketchbook and my uh, crayons <laughs> and um, and I was I was thinking of, of, of I was thinking of all different things you know and and I, I was going down the road I, I knew I wanted it to be like from bad to good dark to light and I was thinking of all jujitsu grappling terminologies like switch and reversal and stuff like that but obviously I'm trying to appeal to people in the military that have never done jujitsu or grappling before so they just won't get that um so then I I, I came up with reorg um, because everyone in the military knows what a reorg is. You know, for your listeners that don't know what a reorg is, essentially, as a section, you you fight through an objective, you uh, close close round in all all round defence, uh, and you check each other off. Um, and no matter what's happened, you know, previously, good or bad, you close together, you check each other off. And you move forward with a positive mindset. And I was just like, this is it. This is this is exactly what we're trying to do, sort of encapsulated in one. So um, so that was it. So we just got the word reorg, uh, commando dagger in the center to to sort of show our origin, you know, where it all sort of came from. And we just ran with that. And um, I think everyone just kind of got it. And I initially we run under the umbrella of the Royal Marine Charity um, as an initiative. And it just gathered momentum really, really quickly. We got lots of support, especially from the jiu-jitsu community, who, who are just incredible. People in the UK like Hodger Gracie, Bradley Estima, and other really high-level black belts just got behind us. And obviously, we had the support of We Defy Foundation as well. And it just grew. And we started introducing uh, military serving, but also veterans as well. Um, and, and, and that was the start of it, really. Yeah, that's that's awesome, and and thanks for doing that because, and that goes along so many of the different charities and and very supportive people that help out, um, you know, veterans that have, you know, whether they have physical injuries or mental injuries and stuff like that. So yeah, that's that's awesome that you decided to do that. But along the way, you met a guy mm. um, who I admittedly I had never heard of, but mm. like just doing a little bit of research, Mark Orman, he's a Royal Marine yep. or was, is, I'm not sure if he still is Royal Marine or not, he's but not serving. he was the UK. He's, yeah. he's not serving he's anymore. Veteran, okay. Yeah. But he is the first trip living triple amputee. So how, how did you guys end up uh, linking up together? Yeah. So uh, as you, as you've said, Mark is uh, a Royal Marine. 
Um, and he, he still does a lot of work in the Royal Marine community. So for 10 years, he worked for the Royal Marine charity, um, doing some incredible things for the, for the Royal Marine charity. Um, and he, he um, was at 30 Commando at the time that I was working there. And he was there for uh, Armed Forces Day. The CEO would have invite, had invited him down. Um, and he was in the seniors mess, um, just having a wet. And me and him got talking. And he is actually from a martial arts background as well. So before his uh, incident, he was a high level sort of Muay Thai kickboxer. Um, and then he had his uh, incident in Afghanistan. And that's another story. Um, and he, he became a, um, a, a triple amputee, but he never, he, he didn't use a wheelchair. So he was using his prosthetics to walk. Um, so he's, to look at him from a distance, you'd think sort of able-bodied because he, he walks and all the rest of it. So because of that, when he was out with his family, um, he was always like looking at like groups of people and just kind of sort of going through like QBOs in his head of, right, if that, you know, if, if those gang of lads was to do anything to me or my family, what would I actually do? You know, because he's got a prosthetic arm, he's got two prosthetic legs. And I was listening to him sort of telling me this. And uh, I said, look, mate, I said, there's a combat room here. And I teach Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I said, how, how about coming down? Uh, I said, I've never taught a triple amputee before, but let's go down and let's work something out. And I, I didn't know this at the time. He's told me since, but he's been approached by other people in the past who did karate and things like that, who've like, offered to get him a black belt. And he's just been like, yeah, cheers. You know what I mean? What's how am I going to do karate with one arm? You know, so he thought I was another one of them. You know what I mean? And um, so we went down and uh, we just worked it out between the two of us. You know, so there's a lot of challenges for me as a coach and instructor. You know, but it was actually quite incredible what he could do with just one arm and his stumps and his core strength was phenomenal. You know, so I suppose the big thing here is when you lose something you gain something else. Um, but the long and short of it is, at the end of that session, his confidence was through the roof because what it had allowed him to do is see that actually if someone broke into his home at night and he's in bed, he's not got his prosthetics on, he sort of gets out of bed, he's already on the floor. I managed to teach him a technique where he could take someone down to the floor um, and actually dominate him, get on top and use his shoulder, use his stump, use his the arm that he's got to actually get on top of these people and choke them out and arm bar them and all these different things. And his confidence was just like, boom, you know, through the roof. And he, he just kept coming back, kept coming back, kept coming back. And we did a lot of one-on-one -on -one training. And when he was ready, I introduced and he trained with able-bodied serving Royal Marines. And he was choking these guys out. Do you know what I mean? These are lads who had uh, just started jujitsu. Mark had come in. Uh, he'd done lots of one-on-one -on -one with me. And they were like tapping hands and he was boom, straight in like a little honey badger. <laughs> so that's what I nicknamed him, like the honey badger, because he's just like 10 <laughs> yes. you know? And the lads are like, this, what's going on? And he's like choking him out, arm barring him. And he could see that he'd actually earned something. You know, when I when I, you know, when he got his first stripe and stuff like that, he was earning this through legitimate hard work, dedication. It wasn't pity, do you know yeah, what I mean? It was right. like real. Um, so then obviously time goes on and he actually gets his blue belt and you know, that, it, that, what a moment that was for him, you know? So, um, yeah, it, 
a really, really good close friend of mine and an absolutely incredible human being. Well, Sam, I'm, I'm sure you know this already, but I, and, and saying nothing that you don't already know, but I mean, you probably, you probably saved his life in more ways than one because I, you know, you enabled him or gave him the ability to defend him and his family. And then I, like what that probably did for him mentally mm-hmm. just set him off on a, on a trajectory for the rest of his life. And, and I don't think that goes unnoticed because um, from when I've read, mm-hmm. I'm, I think, and I'd have to ask you or my wife, mm-hmm. should we be addressing you as sir? Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure the queen gave you an MBE. Am I, am I wrong here? Um, you don't need to dress me as sir. No, but you, you are, you are right. Um, yes, <laughs> but we will. <laughs> The, yeah. the, the queen very kindly, uh, yes, um, gave me an MBE, which absolutely blew me away. Um, and it was it was not long after I got my black belt. So um, yeah, what what a year that was, you know. Um, so yeah, I got got my black belt, and then a few months later, I, I kind of got told, yeah, you've you've been put forward for an MBE, and it's been accepted, and you're going to be going to Buckingham Palace to to collect it so um yeah just mind-blowing stuff like if you if you sort of said to that 19 year old you know that i was talking about at the beginning it was running on that beach at five o'clock in the morning it'd have been like what no i don't think that's gonna happen you know (laughs) well i gotta ask sam what was uh what was more mind-blowing was it getting your black belt after you know a decade of training and hard work and blood sweat and tears on the matter was it or was it getting recognized by the queen (laughs) <laughs> um absolutely the black belt because yeah i mean god now we're talking no 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 seriously you know because i think anyone who starts jujitsu you don't you don't ever expect to get a black belt you know because it just seems like light years away it's just as a white belt or a blue belt even a purple belt you're like yeah i don't know if i'm ever gonna get to become a black belt you know um so it's so the black belt was years and years of hard dedication grit graft sacrifice um but the mbe was like um again it was just it's completely different you know because it's something again i never expected to happen and the, i suppose the reason i got it as well you know so getting it for reorg which is essentially brazilian jiu-jitsu so you know someone said to me no one's ever got an MBE for, you know, creating a charity through Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So, so I suppose that in itself is quite mind-blowing, you know. Um, but I, I think more than anything, it was yeah. nice It was nice for my family, um, you know, to, be able to take my wife, you know, down to Buckingham Palace. Because I think for – and this is across the military now, not just me, but I think across the military, partners, whether that's wives or husbands – they sacrifice a lot, you know, because we're the ones out doing what we want to do. I'm living my childhood dreams, but they're in the rear squaring everything away. You know what I mean? And um, so it was nice for her to come down oh, yeah. and be like, right, this isn't just Sam's hobby. You know, um, the time taken away from you during the day at night, late, it's been recognized by the Queen of England. Um, so that was quite nice. Yeah. Well, it's, it's got to be pretty nice at the pub. I mean, you're already a black belt, and now you can be like, well, I've, I've also got an MBE, no big deal. You know, you can, that pretty much ends any argument you've gotten in. 
it was nice. It was, uh, so, yeah. You know, yeah. So I want to ask just because I I've lived that life on the mats, you know, I am a jujitsu player as well. And we talked about it before in our first conversation. I, I, I totally get it. I already know the answers of the questions I'm about to ask, but you know, why Brazilian jiu-jitsu with Reorg? What does that actually do? What What are the benefits that you found for BJJ, especially when you start talking about, you know, the veteran community? Yeah, no, exactly. There was there was a moment, um, and it was at 30 Commando as well, actually, and I, it was a Royal Marine veteran who I was at 4-5 with, and I've not seen him since I was at 4-5. I didn't recognize him, you know, he was in a suit, he had a beard and all that, and uh, we had a little chat. And I was talking to, I'd not long sort of got reorg established and I was chatting to him and he was saying to me about how when he left the Royal Marines, um, felt like he'd left his identity because whilst he was serving, you know, every day, you know, get up, do fizz together, train together, fight together, sleep together, eat together. Everything you did, you did it together as part of this tribe. And then the day comes and whether you leave through uh, your own choosing or whether you get medically discharged or whether it's the end of your service, it's the same. You know, you hand your kit in, you hand your ID card in, you walk out them gates and that's it. And I think for a lot of guys and girls, you know, they're maybe living on their own. They've gone from this community to they're living in a flat. They're isolated. Maybe some of them turn to, you know, substance misuse. And sometimes it can just end up going down into a bit of a spiral. And, um, and that's not taken into other accounts. You know, there could be medical mm-hmm. issues, whether it's physical or psychological. Now, for me, Brazilian jiu-jitsu is a community. So I think the first big thing is you can't train on your own. You know what I mean? That You cannot train Brazilian jiu-jitsu by yourself. You need at least one other training partner. And the great thing with these academies is – um, from the outset, it's like, oh, it's a fight school. It's a you know, place of combat. But it's a family. You know what I mean? And until you cross through that it's threshold. It's the most welcoming place in the world. Yeah. Absolutely. But people don't know that. So I think what we're doing is we are, we are conduits. We're facilitators. We are getting people from that place of isolation and bringing them out of isolation into a new community, a a community they can relate to because there's a rank structure. You've got the head instructor, you've got the coach, and then you've got the the belts, you know, the senior belts going down. And even in the the white belt community, you know, you've got your one stripes, two stripes, three stripes, four stripes. Oh, he's nearly a blue belt. He's got four stripes, you know. And what you've got is this incredible community that all in – all support each other because they all know what each other have been through, like the military. You know, the purple belts understand what it's like being a white belt and a blue belt. So they've got that empathy. Do you know what I mean? And we're all striving to get to similar sort of places, you know? So you've got that community straight away that support each other. And I've heard this from other people as as well as experiencing it myself, you know, that thing of you go and train together and you're on the mat and it's that shared hardship. It's that grit. It's that experiencing it together. But then afterwards, generally you have a coffee or you go for something to eat together. So it's a lifestyle, you know, it's not just a case of, yeah, let's, let's go smash a few weights or let's go hit the pads and then right. See you later, mate. It's you're actually part of a lifestyle, you know, and no matter where you go in the world, there's a jiu-jitsu academy waiting for you with open arms, like, come and train with us. Because probably like you, you know, I've traveled the world and I've trained at academies where they don't even, we don't speak the same language, but we do because we speak the language of jiu-jitsu. Because when you're on the mat, 
doesn't matter who you are, you know, where you're from. You could be a lawyer, you could be working at, you know, Tesco's or, you know, it's like it doesn't, doesn't matter your background. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've got that gi on your back, you tie your belt and you're just training jujitsu and you're in like a meditative state. So, you know, whatever worries you've got outside the academy, they're not there. They're not on the mat, you know, and you've just got each other and you form these really strong bonds and uh, it's just incredible. Yeah, and I think part of that also is that some of the parallels are, like, if, if we come over and, and hang out and train with you all, like, yeah. we've all earned our own berets, and there's that yeah. pressure and that legacy that comes along with that. So when we come yeah. over and train with y'all, and you all yeah. have your berets that you earned, yeah. you know, like, you get used to, like, trying to uphold a legacy and that pressure, yeah. uh, you know, because you have all those things. And so once you have that, you're kind of representing your school wherever you go. Absolutely. And I, I think once you get out, you're, you're kind of like, well whose legacy and what kind of pressure is behind me to keep on going and to perform. Um, and I think that, you know, I think there's a few parallels there. And also when you talk about the white belts, all I think about is the E4 mafia, you know, cause they run everything. So, you know, that's cause there's so many of them. So like they, they yeah. can probably take over your studio or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but moving, moving forward. Thanks yeah. Jared. Um, what, where, where's Rio going? Like how do, how do we help out with that? Cause it seems like, a, it's one of those things that, you know, as we transition out of the military and you're looking for that next thing to pressure you or the next community to be a part of, to represent, yeah. wh where's it going and, and how do people help? Um, so, so where are we going? We're continuing that same trajectory because we're doing really well as a community, as a, as a, and this is global, you know, it's not just in the UK. We've got a, an incredible, incredible global Rio community who are who have built us to what we are you know it's not about the reorg team or me or mark or anyone like that it's it's the whole community that's built us to where we are so we're going to just going to continue on that path and and it's kind of bittersweet because the bitter is that there's people there that need help but then the sweet is that we are here we are here for you so how can people help well the first thing you can do to help is check in on your mates you know um Give them a ring, give them a call. And when they say, ah, I'm all right, are they? Are they really all right? Because generally, when someone says to you, how are you doing, mate? You're all right. You go, yeah, yeah, I'm good. How are you doing? Because you're like, he doesn't really want to know what I'm doing. You know, he doesn't really want to know. Well, actually, do you really want to know how I am? Sit down, you know, spend, spare an hour, you know, get yourself a cup of tea because this is going to be a long one. Do you know what I mean? Because that's just how we are as humans, isn't it? So, that's that's the first thing that I would like your listeners to do is just check in on each other. You know, we've had a real stinker of a, of a time lately. Uh, so check in on each other, make sure you're all okay. The next thing is just to spread the word, you know, let people know about Reorg, what we're about and how, you know, our supporting kind of uh, organizations like We Defy, another incredible uh, organization. And you've got Veteran Grappling over in, Australia, so it's it's a huge global community. Um, that so just get involved. Yeah, uh, for sure. And and who are the? I like to, you know, follow the organizations I want to follow, and then I also want to look at all the people running the organization, and also yeah. follow them. I like to go down that like rabbit hole of social media. Yeah, yeah. So we've so got a website. So you know, uh, reorgcharity.com, and that tells a really nice story about reorg, who we all are, you know, what we do. Uh, how people can get involved. Um, we've also on social media, so Real Charity on Instagram. And again, 
you know, if you've got the time, you want to go back through some of the stories and what, what we've done, people we've helped. It's, it's a, a nice little resource for them. Well, we appreciate you going through that and we'll definitely uh, check out all that stuff for sure. And we're uh, happy to help out your uh, charity. So we always ask, uh, you know, for our listeners, obviously they're going to preparing for selection. They're preparing for, you know, difficult times ahead. Um, you know, as you know, they're going to continue to do for the rest of your li- their lives. But mm-hmm. your advice for people who, uh, you know, being a person who's been a Royal Marine, you started yeah. up this awesome program, and then you've also been recognized by the Queen herself. What would um, you say uh, if you were to give one tip for getting through these difficult times or getting through, you know, tackling a big project, that kind of stuff? What tip would you give them, you know, going into selection and getting prepared for that kind of stuff? Okay, so the first thing that I would say is believe in yourself. Because if you don't believe that you can do it, you're never going to do it. You know, no one else is going to do it for you. You've got to do it for yourself. So if there's something that you want to do, something you really want to achieve, you can do it. You truly can. Because if I had that conversation back with my you know, 19-year-old self and like listed, right, this is everything you're going to do. I think it would have overwhelmed him and he'd have been like, what? But I think the way that we do it, especially in the military, it's like um, you, you achieve something, but then it's like gone. Yeah. On to the next. It's like targets in it. Target. Yeah. On to the next, on to the next, on to the next. And very rarely we take a step outside the box and we're like, right, let's look at what you've actually achieved here. So I think a lot of the, and so as an instructor at the commando uh, training school, one of the biggest things I saw was people who had the ability physically, but mentally they let themselves down because they didn't believe that they could do it. So they had all the qualities, but they stopped themselves. So I would say give yourself permission to perform and see what you achieve. Right. And I always uh, tell a lot of the people that are listening, you know, they're asking whether I'm big enough or whether I'm strong enough. And there's guys that are 140 pounds or shorter or that kind of stuff. And it's not necessarily the person that is, you know, best physically or best mentally or grew up to be this position. It's the person that actually steps up and does it and does the work behind that, that actually becomes successful because there are people that are more qualified than me who went to selection with me and didn't actually end up making it because they got inside their own head and it's all about, um, doing that whole thing. Um, so, you know, and beyond that, I think, you know, it's really important, like you said, to just, you know, put into perspective what you're actually going to be doing um, as far as training physically, mentally. We're talking about, uh, you know, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu and it comes up a lot in the people that we uh, end up interviewing because yeah. it's that whole mindset as you went on and talked about, you know, it's about the team. It's not about yourself. Yeah. It's about staying humble, staying active, knowing mm-hmm. your limits, continuing to push on when, you know, your job is gone. Um, yeah. Just like you, you said you retired recently. So, yeah finding that purpose beyond the job and knowing that you are not exactly the beret or you are not this, you are an actual person who had those experiences and you can push on with those similar minded people that are going to continue to push you forward and make yourself better, you know, just continue uh, making each other better. So I think that's uh, very important from what you said to our listeners. And then as well as the preparation stage is like you were talking about putting yourself in those positions as we're talking through our, um, 
you know, our listeners and getting prepared as you were talking about going through the commando school, you wanted to be that since you were a child and, uh, you know, that's awesome that you were able to have that foresight to know what you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but it took a lot of years of preparation and knowing that this is going to be your goal, seeing that, uh, you know, you had family members that were also commandos, seeing that dagger, I'm sure on their wall reminded you every day of like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to be. And everything that, uh, you did in the meantime was driving you towards that goal, whether or not as a child, you knew that, but keeping that in the back of your head always, um, you know, helps with that visualization aspect of it. So, Before we go and I, I close it out, do you have anything else to say about reorg or any other advice or tips to our listeners? Um, I think the big one is to just, if you've got a dream, just do it. You know, don't, I think very often we put things off. We say, oh, no, I'm, I'm not, not going to go for it. Yeah, I'm going to spend a bit more time training. I'm going to get fitter. I'm going to get stronger. And then I'm going to be ready to do it. No, don't. You know, if you want to start jujitsu, go to a jujitsu academy, get in touch with us at Reorg. We'll find an academy for you and go and train jujitsu because you don't have to be big or strong or fit to do it. You, you will get that as a byproduct of training jujitsu because so many times I've had people say, I'm like, where, where have you been? I've not seen you on the mat. Oh, I'm going to get a bit stronger, get a bit fitter, then I'll be better at jujitsu. No, you won't. You'll be You'll be bigger and stronger and fitter, but you won't be better at jujitsu. If you want to be a good swimmer, get in the pool and swim. If you want to be a good runner, get your trainers on and run. You know, and I think that's the same for anything in life. You know, whatever it is that you want to be yep. successful at, you've got to do it. No one's going to do it for you. You've got to put in the hard work, but you will reap the rewards afterwards. Dang, that was a kind of said about myself. Awesome words. Yeah. Uh, so we'll just leave it at that. And, you know, I just want to thank you again for coming on here, talking to us. Um, awesome charity that you have and very inspirational youth with your career. Congrats again on all of your successes from the black belt, the queen, um, and you know, everything else in between. It's been awesome to, uh, hear that British language again and just kind of get re-familiarized. Aaron and I and Jared, we're all just smiling in the background here as you were talking. I don't know if you saw it or not, but it was uh, awesome to have you on and you're yeah so we really appreciate it and from all of us out here you know thank you again to our listeners for listening to this podcast and supporting us um, throughout the past couple years couldn't have done without you guys and we're here for you so anytime that you need anything or you have any questions just feel free to email us and uh, if you have any podcast guests or someone else that you'd like to see topics that kind of stuff just hit us up right from over here you guys that go out there earn each breath and take it easy later Later. Thanks, guys. Very nice.